0: Welcome to the Leadership Lowdown. This is Vic Verschero right here on the Michigan Business Network. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we're really excited to be talking to somebody that I've had the privilege of uh, opportunity to be introduced to, and we're going to hear a little bit more about his background. His name is Ed Cezina. He is the market executive for the Eastern Michigan Complex of the Raymond James and Associate Organization. Ed, welcome to our show. We're glad you're here. Thank you
1: so much, Vic. It's
0: an honor. Well, it's good to have you here. You know, because I've heard so many great things about you. I've read some very impressive information. So I'm kind of a, I'm a little giddy about the opportunity to hear all about your story. But before we get too far down the road, why don't you share with me a little bit about your current role and what it is you do for the impressive organization called Raymond James and Associates.
1: Sure. My current role as the market executive is to be responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen within the 21 offices Raymond James & Associates has here in eastern Michigan. Our footprint in eastern Michigan for Raymond James & Associates runs from Wyandotte all the way up to Bay City, through Saginaw, over to East Lansing, and then down to Jackson. Everything in between. So it's a Pretty solid geographical location, depending on how you count uh, on any given day. We're probably first or second largest market for Raymond James & Associates, which is impressive since our headquarters is in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, We've been able to grow to about a $150 million organization here on the east side of the state, and we're fortunate to continue to attract really good people to Raymond James, and that's probably the most important part of my role is to make sure that we are retaining great advisors and associates that do the right thing each and every day and then also attracting equally good people to our organization.
0: You bet. It almost feels like you should get frequent flyer miles for all the geographic... location you're covering and and I'll bet when you come in the door as big as your operation is they probably don't get to see you a whole lot but I'm sure when you get there they're really excited to roll out the red carpet and have somebody of your level of responsibility to come to their offices. So, it's great to have you here. The Raymond James and Associates is something I'm very familiar with. I have a wonderful producer by the name of Don Nato, who is a great friend of mine who does a great job for you guys and has my personal services over there with you. And I'm glad to have that background and an opportunity to hear about that. But you know, what I want to know a little bit about is your direction. Now, are you an eastern side of Michigan guy or are you new to the state?
1: That's a great question. Actually, Raymond James, I'll say, saved me some 24 years ago. I was in a good spot from another firm as I was really still early in the organization. But I found myself in New York City doing some management training for what was supposed to be two years. But Raymond James found me and pulled me out of that situation and got me into eastern michigan where i actually graduated from high school um, oh. i had the opportunity to attend three different high schools in three different states <laughs> that's a story all of its own and it, i think it helped me in many ways and it probably opened my eyes to lots of different people and cultures and how things work but to answer your question I'll make it a long story even longer yes high school here in farmington high school where I graduated and then did a lot of moving around before finding myself back here in eastern Michigan. Well,
0: it's no surprise. I'm pretty excited about Michigan. I'm a lifelong Michigan resident myself. And, of course, I think it's one of the most amazing states in the country. (laughs) I'm a little partial to it. Interesting enough, you know, I think it's Minnesota brags of having the land of 10,000 lakes. Well, in Michigan, we've got 11,000. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's unrivaled beauty and it's pure Michigan. And I'm really proud to be a part of it. And I'm really glad you're with us today, too, to hear a little bit about your story. So I need to understand, you came to Michigan. How old were you when you got to Michigan?
1: 10th grade.
0: 10th grade. And, and well, so
1: I just, when I first got to Michigan.
0: Now, were you a big sports guy? Was that kind of the way you helped define yourself when you started to meet all those folks? Was that what you Obviously, were?
1: I would say for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I played football and baseball and all those wonderful things. in at Farmington High School... And I was recruited to play football at the United States Military Academy, and that's where I went and continued my football career. And then that set me on a course for the military and lots of different adventures along the way there.
0: Well, and of course, it's the adventures that we're always excited about and trying to learn more about. So and we're going to have a chance in a future segment to hear a little bit more about that. But so you have a family here in Michigan. Are you guys spread out all over the country?
1: Pretty spread out. Brother and sister in Indiana, where is another place that i spent a lot of childhood years. And other than that, I have a cousin here in Michigan, but my family is in Indiana, Ohio. I've got family in Florida, so.
0: Yeah, you basically have free lodging around the country, don't you?
1: <laughs> which is great, yeah. Yes, but somehow I always end up paying.
0: I yeah, leave, I hear you. Me. I have a little bit of that myself every once in a while.
1: And, you know, my real family, my young daughters, my two daughters who are now in college, One is at the University of Michigan, and the other is playing volleyball down in Oklahoma. So that's where most of my time is spent. I can imagine.
0: Thank goodness to the electronic world we live in; it's a little bit smaller, and you get a chance to spend some time with everybody. Well, I'm glad to be spending some time with you, Ed. It's great to have you right here on the Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back. We're back right here on the Leadership Lowdown on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Verschereau, and I have the privilege and honor of talking to Ed Sudzina, and he is actually the market executive for the Eastern Michigan Complex of the Raymond James and Associate Great Organization. And of course, one of the things that I think is so cool is I did some research and kind of unpacking Ed's story. Ed's a West Point guy, and Ed, it's not like you just show up anywhere, anytime and walk into West West Point. Tell me how that looked in your world to knock on that door.
1: It's a good question also Vic. So I did play high school football and West Point probably wasn't first on my radar. I just knew that I wanted to go somewhere special. There were some Ivy League schools that interested me as well but my father who's a huge influence on me you know he said if you're gonna go that direction you have to at least go and see what it's like and I did. I did it on a Martin Luther King weekend, I recall my high school visit my senior year. Not a lot of what we call plebes there, so the plebes are the first year cadets. Yeah. So I got to see what it's like to be a big shot at West Point. <laughs> You're an upperclassman, things are great. Jim Young was our head football coach, and he put a deal in front of me, and of course, I signed it immediately because I wanted to be one of those people. Wow. And then, of course, I reported that summer and found out that it was going to be a very different look than what i had anticipated as, <laughs> as oh no live. it's uh, not those recruiting not
0: lines <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was great no but you know what thank god for West point I tell you you wish you knew then what you know now
0: yeah
1: or we just kids but it was definitely a turning factor in the direction my life would take and they made me grow up very quickly And they gave me some exciting opportunities following graduation.
0: Well, help me understand it, Ed. When you show up at West Point, you know, it's a little bit, well, you tell me, is it different than if I show up, I've been recruited to the military, and I show up as a fresh recruit, not at West Point. They shave my head, and they put me through basic training and everything else. Tell me what happens when you show up at West Point. What's that like? They
1: swarm on you quickly. You go with your parents, and you're in the auditorium, and they say, hey, you got 15-page work and understanding. They turn you into a soldier as quickly as possible. So we call it Beast Barracks, and it's similar to uh, basic training, very aggressive, great physical work, lots of mental work, really trying to get you in a leadership mode to understand that you're not just another college person. You are going to be a cadet, and then you're going to be expected to work hard those four years so that you can become an officer in the United States Army and lead soldiers, which is obviously the most important thing you can do.
0: Yeah, and of course, when you're there, I wonder, you know, you have to have met some impressive people that probably were pretty influential in your experience. Anybody come to mind, and if you don't want to name names, any particular traits that you thought were really important as a young man showing up on that campus? You know, I would
1: tell you that almost everyone that you interact with there is special. The officers that led us, some of the cadets that led us as well, my classmates and lifelong friendships that still hold true today. We're going to go watch Army play LSU here in a couple of weeks as well. So we still get together annually. We've had, I can't tell you how many, just really strong Americans that you got to see in action each and every day. And they inspired you just to be better than you thought you could be. I know it's a cliche now, being all that you can be, but it's true. And I could name hundreds, literally.
0: Wow. Well, and so when you get there, you know, I was on the impression that West Point required a letter from your congressman or whatever and that type of thing. But when they're saying, hey, we want you to come play ball, when they're asking you, is that different than you asking them?
1: You're correct. You do get into West Point from a nomination and then an appointment from either congressman or senator. There are also some presidential special nominations. They have a handful of scholarships available as well. I did get nominated and appointed through Representative Bill Broomfield. That tells you how old I am. God bless Bill. (laughs) God rest his soul. But he was the 18th congressional district back then, which we've shrunk a bit. But yeah, that is the route you take. And it's very competitive. 13,000 folks, kids try to get in and apply each every year. and, And then they take 1,300.
0: Wow. Well, and so in that scenario, I got to believe at one point in time, you probably feel pretty proud of yourself and all of this and that as a young man being, you know, brought to West Point. But then is there kind of a humbling moment when you're like, wait a minute, you're looking right and left and you go, there's a whole bunch of other pretty impressive cadets that are here with me. And so all of a sudden, you kind of get that humble pie. Did that happen?
1: Day one, hour one. How's that? <laughs> <Not> <laughs> Absolutely. <really? laughs> as soon as you're shaved down and maybe a little bit of a tear welling up in your eye and you just see that all of these superstars are all around you and the expectations are extremely elevated, if you have anything other than humility running through your veins, they will quickly fix that
0: they, won't, yeah, they yeah, will yeah, they will fix it and i'm not sure i want to go into the details of how they fix it but i'm really looking forward to your leadership the, development dick yeah so there you go it's <laughs> what it is well and we're so glad you're here glad we have an opportunity to hear more about your amazing story looking forward to hearing it all here on the michigan business network we're going to take a quick break and be right back
1: keeps changing and successful companies recognize and embrace change through choice, adaptability, and innovation. DBI offers affordable furniture solutions for countless workspace options that will enhance the performance of your people and organization. DBI helps customers reach their workplace goals from improving worker effectiveness and innovation to brand expression. DBI is your office furniture partner. Learn more at dbiguests.com.
0: We're excited to have Ed Cezina. He's right here with us. He's part of the Raymond James and Associate Organization. He's the market executive of Eastern Michigan Complex. And of course, Ed, you're with us today here on the Leadership Lowdown, and we're glad that you have a chance to kind of tell us about your story. But you know, the football and all the stuff that's right there is all leading you to a direction to graduate from west point and become a part of the military organization and make some contributions there tell me what happens football gets quickly put behind you and it gets pretty real out there when you head off into the military yes
1: it does indeed that's the real world and that's what we were training for the entire time so you get to choose your branch uh service in the army and i chose infantry I figured if we're going to go in, we're going to go all in. And I wanted to lead soldiers, and that's the best opportunity to lead as many soldiers in potentially desperate situations. Wow. So that's what I picked. And then you go through lots of schooling after West Point, from your infantry officer basic course to airborne school. And I chose to go to ranger school and all sorts of other places, northern warfare school. Take your pick. There's just a lot to get ready before you can even go and serve and lead soldiers. And eventually I found myself in Europe as an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer with 6th Battalion, 502nd Infantry Regiment, which was out of Berlin, Germany. And that was where I deployed to the former Yugoslavia Republic of Macedonia, right up leading up to the uh, Bosnia situation. And that was a great opportunity. So you know, when you're in the army and you're doing these things, you know, it was a lot of sacrifice for sure. But We train all the time for an opportunity to do real-world deployments, and that was one of the first deployments we had done for quite some time in our countries.
0: Can I ask you, so you get this assignment, and when you get there, is that when I watch too many movies, I guess, but I'm thinking you walk in, and now there's a number of men and women under your command. Is that the way it works? Is that when you met them, is when you arrived at your location?
1: That's exactly right. It was all men, and... They assign you to your first platoon as a rifle platoon leader. You've got these guys that have been at it for years and they're very experienced. And again, that humility part yeah. comes right into play because you are just some brand new second lieutenant and you can't, well, people try, but you can't successfully jump in there and say, here I am. I've arrived. Here's what we're going to do. That's not how it works. You get yeah. with the platoon sergeant who's the senior non-commissioned officer and humbly ask him, to help you lead and to teach you and to make you the officer you should be.
0: Ed, that is brilliant stuff. Tell me, does that somebody that told you to do that or did that come from your heart and you just figured it out?
1: That's part of leadership training at West Point for sure. Same ranger school, very different leadership experience. So you understand that your non-commissioned officers and soldiers have been doing this for a long time and they've got ways of doing things. It doesn't mean that you're not going to improve upon those ways. And this has lasted a lifetime for me, every new role. You have to just observe and listen and learn and make sure that you're allowing those people that are subject experts on the ground teach you, develop you so that you can make the right changes when the time needs to be when the changes need to be made at the right time, or you can just continue to improve upon what they're already doing.
0: Well Ed, this is really intriguing, worth the price of admission right here on this whole conversation because for me I've always felt that if I need to remind you that I'm in charge, that is broken leadership, that ultimately I have failed. And so when you hit the field and you have people, they know how many bars are on your sleeve or they understand all the way the military works. You never should be in a position to remind somebody like that. So there's a lot of... I think I'm hearing you say earning that position in terms of credible leadership. Are there some elements in your mind that go, that's right, Vic, here's where you start on that. Anything that comes to mind?
1: There have been some good and bad experiences that have helped shape, you know, some of the things that I still do today. I do recall being in an engagement in, in the border of Kosovo and Macedonia. With my soldiers by then, I'm more senior for sure. And you know, they're following at that point and being told from some staff officers, you know, 30 kilometers to the rear, what I'm seeing when I'm actually on the ground seeing these things. And that was frustrating. And that was always a story that I've always, you know, leaned on. You've got to trust your people on the ground. And it's important that we do that today. And so with my direct reports, I trust them to. Tell me what they're seeing and what needs to be done because they're there doing it each and every day. Mm -hmm. You can't be that person 30 kilometers behind saying, hey, this is what you're actually seeing. When I was telling them, I have 18 satellites in the air telling me exactly what I see. So (laughs) good
0: and bad. Yeah, and every one of them multi-million dollars, but you got your own 2020 vision going, I can see what's happening, right? I love that. And it's so important, Ed, as we think about leadership in terms of business and where we're headed as an organizations, as leadership in organizations, being able to have people around you that are along, not for the ride, but they're along for the opportunity to help succeed and to build the organization with you. And man, I'm so excited to have you here on the Leadership Lowdown. We're so glad you tuned in to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back.
1: takes time, like the equity in your home. That's why LaughQ offers a home equity line of credit, because frequent watering of your house plants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to laughqcom slash home equity. LafQ, your credit
0: union for life. And we're back on the Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I've got Ed Sudzina, and he is the market executive for the Eastern Michigan Complex for the Raymond James and & Associates. And Ed, as I'm thinking about your situation, you know, it's one thing when you've got a military scenario where people need to snap to attention, yell, yes, sir, and everything else. My note here and observation is that you still, as a leader, were out earning their respect, earning their trust, building that environment that you were ultimately leading. Tell me, when you make the transition from military, albeit impressive world-class training of West Point, when you make that transition, tell me what happens when you get into the business world. Is it a difficult transition for you?
1: Back then, I'd say yes. It was challenging because I knew how to do you know, certain things as an infantry officer. I understood that world. I knew I had leadership to offer, but finding the path was challenging. That's one thing. Right now, I'm the national co-chair at Raymond James for our Baller, which is our Veterans Inclusion Network, as well as I'm on the committee for our Veterans Financial Advisor Network at the firm. That's one thing that's important to us right now is to try to give veterans a path. I didn't really have one. There are companies out there that can try to get you where you need to go as a veteran, but you really don't know what you don't know. I stumbled into the financial services industry. I was blessed to have that opportunity and I was also very fortunate to make the most of it, but I came in as a financial advisor really not knowing anything. And you know, I did lean on the training, which is something I got from the military, understanding that training is everything and just absorbed it all to try to become you know, valuable to clients as soon as humanly possible. And that was my path into the industry.
0: And that's interesting. It's so true. You really don't know what you don't know. And there's other cliches that I've heard as well, which is people really don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So there's a personal relationship that needs to be built I'm naive because I was not a military guy. I can't thank you enough for your service and what military people do. But I'm curious, it doesn't always feel like a touchy-feely thing. It feels like that sensitivity issue of being able to relate to other people. Either you got it or you don't, or are other things where you'd say, no, no, I think there's ways to learn that. Any reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I agree. So in the military, there is a chain of command. And you know what? You have authority under you know Article 15. These soldiers have to follow you. If they don't, there's consequences. It doesn't mean that you act in that manner based on your rank. You should never lead based on rank. So in the civilian world, you just need to be sensitive to the fact that rank really doesn't matter. It's, you want to be as collegial as you humanly can be, learn from one another, build that trust, so that regardless of what your rank is, people are willing to follow you because they know that you're with them and that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get dirty with them and do anything and everything that takes to be successful. And that's very important to me. I've always wanted to be a servant leader, and I think that is the only way to really be successful, to get people to trust you and to want to do the things that are going to make the organization better.
0: Well, and tell me about, you know, you've said servant leader now, and you've also mentioned humility a couple different times in this conversation. Tell me, do you think that... Being a servant leader or showing humility, do you think that weakens you to people that don't know you? People take advantage of that? Tell me your thoughts on that.
1: I just don't. And a lot of it has to do with the people that you hire and how you develop those people. You're looking for those people that have the same kind of hearts. You want very different perspectives for sure, and that's what's valuable. But if someone knows that you have their best interest in mind each and every time and every day and that you're offering the best of yourself to allow them to be successful as they choose to be, they're going to follow you regardless of, again, rank or prestige or credibility that you may have built at another time in another place.
0: Yeah. Not always do we get the people with the right heart. And so we used to call them crucial conversations. So in business some of the biggest mistakes I've made is not having that crucial conversation with people that needed to have some clarity about my expectations. Do you have a reaction to that, or have there been some crucial conversations that you've had to have with people that weren't meeting your expectations?
1: Those are the hardest ones to have, obviously. But I've just found that if you've been honest all along the way, and you allow people to know how they're doing and how they're performing and what the expectations are, those crucial conversations tend not to be a surprise for the person on the other side receiving
0: that. Mm, And
1: it's just about, again, having the empathy that's necessary, but being direct and letting them know, you know what, this conversation is going to sting a little bit, but we need to talk about something here that's going to only benefit you if you choose to allow it to benefit you in your career.
0: And it's not uh, mindless criticism. It's having that crucial conversation with purpose and being focused so that you're going at it with an intent of improving the situation and you know, making them better, making your situation better. And gosh, Ed, I can tell you, you're making my situation better because I've taken some amazing notes from an amazing leader who's joined us right here on the Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. We're going to go pay some bills and be right back. Michigan Works Association believes the key to advancing prosperity across the state is accomplished through building a skilled workforce. As the state's primary workforce development association, their focus is to continue to move the needle on policy, education, and collaboration. They're creating an opportunity and building stronger communities by advocating and innovating together. on the Michigan Business Network, and we're on with a great opportunity here on the Leadership Lowdown to talk to Ed Cezina, who is doing a great job of helping us understand his role and responsibilities at the amazing Raymond James and Associates organization, doing great things with great people along the way. And of course, what I'm hearing from you, Ed, and I think it's in your heart, is that no one does it alone. And in this process, what I believe along the way is that there are people that have poured into you and have made the difference when the difference mattered the most. And so your thoughts on some of those mentors along the way that helped you maybe at a critical time?
1: Oh my gosh, so many, so many good people that have helped me. And I'll just stick with right here at Raymond James. You know, from the minute I got hired in, wonderful people were there to help me develop their patient and humble Everything that you've always want in the leadership roles, they were there for me. I think about Tom Hudson, the late, great Tom Hudson. We just lost this past year. He hired me. He ran our private client group when he hired me. Just an amazing human being that knew the business back and forth and understood people. So amazing and missed. Bill Roney. God bless Bill Roney. Roney and Company, I think you might recognize the name. Of course. He was also here when we were hired in, so he was my divisional director back then. Just a gentleman and knowledgeable and caring and so patient with me on so many different occasions to allow me to grow and to be successful and to make mistakes along the way, but not to judge, but also just to develop. And my current leadership team is just incredible. They're friends as much as they are leaders. Again, humility, galore. Dominic Prioli, who's my regional director, I just think about his excitement and his love for the business and for advisors and associates, second to none, Patrick O'Connor, my divisional director, also just the intelligence level and willingness to share and to be able to see things that I would never see. And then at the top, Tosh Elwin, our president and CEO of Raymond James Associates, I've never seen someone work harder or care more and do so many things in a day so effectively each and every day, never an off minute. And you know what, love of advisors and what they do and our associates and of course clients first and foremost, those folks have really made it easy for me to be successful.
0: You know, Ed, what I heard you say as a common thread is the people that you admire and the people that you are holding up as examples for all of us are people that number one, love the organization and what they do. And number two, love and cherish the people that are doing it with them. And I think those are great leadership components for people that are not looking at them. It's just a job. It's people that are truly making a difference and doing things along the way. And it's a powerful thing to be in an organization that has that deep well of compassion and caring. I think that's so cool. I want to spend a minute not to challenge what you said, but to understand where you're going. So you mentioned one of your mentors was extremely patient and allows you the opportunity for you to fail and to do that. So we just got done talking about crucial conversations. We just talked about somebody being patient and allowing people to fail. Tell me, as you stitch all that together as a leader, how do you help people to hear and understand that they're not being criticized, but they're being coached and they're being developed as you let them fail or as in you try to tweak the direction and path they're on? Help me understand your thoughts in that arena.
1: I think it could be a combination of both, depending on what that failure would represent. If it's going to be something that's you know negatively impacting a client or a situation like that, then you can't allow that to happen. But if it's just an approach that might not be my approach, I would allow them to fail because I think there's a lot of value to that and learn a great deal from our failures. When I'm working with my folks, I just want to hear what they're thinking and what direction they would like to go. And if I've made a decision ahead of time, I'm willing and really open to hearing their thoughts on that decision because the first thing that I let everyone know is, I need you all in the military to cover my six. Help me with my blind spots. Show me what I don't know so that I'm not being surprised by something. And that means asking opinions, listening to different approaches, and then being open to change your mind to make a decision that you might likewise not have made earlier. So that's mm. how we try to operate.
0: Yeah, that's really good stuff. Well, you know, the other thing I guess I just want to, your quick thoughts on is setting up guardrails because mistakes are one thing, but character it is entirely different. When a mistake is born from I didn't realize that would be an outcome versus I have it's the way I treated people or it's a deviate decision that was done that was inappropriate there's got to be the old things this is what i stand for this is what i won't stand for so you probably have to set up some guardrails and all that right
1: oh you bet and everyone knows where i stand on certain things well a cadet will not lie cheat, or steal nor tolerate those who do i've learned that long long time ago and that was everything that was our cadet honor code that absolutely holds true today any of those situations where there's a breach in that regard Those are non-negotiable for me. So those guardrails hold true. If we do anything that would ever harm a client or a fellow associate, that's a tough one to overcome as well. So yes, as long as someone's heart is in the right place and they're trying to do the right thing and they're staying away from those absolutes – Those are opportunities to grow and to learn, but there are indeed guardrails, as you in, and those would
0: be mine. I love it, Ed. Ed, I've loved our time together. We've only got one short segment left. We're going to go take a quick break and come right back here on the Leadership Lowdown. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. Oh, the time goes so fast. I just can't believe that we're on our final segment here with Ed Sudzina. He is the market executive for the Eastern Michigan Complex of Raymond James and Associates. And Ed, I just know that part of what you do and based on what you've shared is you do it with great people. And great people on a great cause doing great things. And you've built a powerhouse in terms of the direction of the Eastern Michigan market and you ought to be real proud of what you got going there. But it comes at surrounding yourself with great people. And if I ever wondered about being with a fantastic investment firm, would there be an opportunity to join Raymond James & Associates? Absolutely. We're always
1: looking for good people from both our staff and associate side as well as financial advisors and managers. So the way you do it, Raymond James' website RaymondJames.com is the best way to look at some of the multiple openings that we have available. We have a robust training program. We call our AMP program, Advisor Mastery Program. And it's a wonderful multi-year way to develop new folks into our industry. They can be second career people or third career for whatever that takes or somebody which is a little bit of experience that maybe has a passion for this industry. And we're also, of course, interested in really strong, experienced advisors from other firms that may be looking to make a change and would value the autonomy and freedom that Raymond James offers.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm sure that somebody coming with experience, you probably want to make sure that it's the culture fit, right? Because I perceive what my knowledge of Raymond James is, is that I think there's an incredible culture. There's amazing leadership, storied leadership, if I could be so bold, and some great culture. And as a result of that, I guess I'm thinking that when you go to select somebody to your organization, it's probably not easy to have them come in because they have to meet the bar of what you've already established, right?
1: You know, right on ahead, Vic, we vet diligently, let's say. You mentioned the word culture. We live and breathe it each and every day. Any meeting we have, particularly also with our senior leadership, it's what impact will something have on our culture? Because that's what we value more than anything. Our culture stems from the core values of Raymond James. And pretty much every associate you ask will know what those core values are. Clients come first and foremost all the time. We have a long-term view of investing and we have a conservative approach to management. We value independence, and that means there's lots of different ways that you can interact with Raymond James and work at Raymond James. And then, of course, we've talked about this a lot earlier. We do everything with integrity. So that's what our culture is about, relying on those values. And when it comes to vetting folks maybe from another firm in the industry, we want to make sure that they get that and that they value it as much as we do, because it's hard to overcome a bad hire and
0: we don't want to do that (laughs) well and the bad hire can impact a reputation you've worked so hard for years to build And so i really truly get that but tell me before we run out of time for somebody that has the dream of going i want to do what ed does or i want to be a producer or whatever that is can somebody with literally no experience make it in your business absolutely i mean
1: Someone as basic as I have made it, so it's very, very doable. It's a hard road, Vic. I'm not going to pay it lightly. I mean, you've got to work really hard, and you've got to be diligent as an advisor, particularly when you're new, leaning on a lot of different networks and all the things that it takes to build a great business and a great practice. And you have to be resilient. I'd say more than anything else it's resiliency, having the ability to hear no and to hear it often, but to continue to dust yourself up, off and and get up and go again. That's the key to being a successful advisor here.
0: You bet. Or anywhere. You know, Ed, in my business, we used to do a lot of recruiting and hiring as well. And we paid people pretty well. I think people in your organization get paid pretty well. And my whole point was is that, look, people don't get paid really well unless it's really difficult. Because there's no easy money out there. And when you see somebody that's doing really well or has the trappings of success, it's not because it was easy. It was because they committed to making a difference and really doubling down and doing the difficult things, doing them well and mastering that process. And so I think about people in your business, they're pretty successful, they're paid well, and yet it is not because they fell into it, but because they worked really hard. Ed, I want to say- Absolutely, I would
1: tell you, if I could just end on- Yes, please. You got it right, we're paid well, but this is an honorable and worthwhile profession. I would say second to the medical profession- or clergy. I mean, we are working with people's money. So you have to be honorable to do things the right way and understand that you're getting paid well because you have to deal with the hard truths when it comes to folks' money and helping them achieve their goals. And that's not an easy task if you're doing it right each and every day.
0: Well, and it's not. And, you know, easy is never the answer. <laughs> and I can tell you, we used to have a saying that good enough never is. And, you know, never. when you want to shoot It's not about perfection. It's about shooting for perfection and settling for excellence. And I think Raymond James does things in a really excellent way. And I think one of the best things they did was hire Ed all those years ago. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the chance to hear a little bit about your management philosophy. But Ed, on behalf of a grateful nation, thank you for your service to this country. And thank you for what you're doing to help people manage their wealth and manage their investments and to live their dreams because you're living yours. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Vic. Truly an honor.
0: All the best. Thanks for tuning in to Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I can't wait to talk to you next time.